and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 125. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now we've got a great Q&A lined up for you today. Jumping straight into this first question. They're asking for a few details about us, Jack. <laughs> a few of our stats. Well, we're happy to provide them. Mm-hmm. Depending on what stats they are, I haven't read the question yet. So. <laughs> Stat! <laughs> Name what uh, TV show that's from. <laughs> oh, The Good Doctor. Yes, it is. <laughs> Stat! <laughs> All right. Anyway, stats. You've just given away. We've watched some pretty crappy TV there. Like, what? The Good Doctor is so good. They're good doctors. I love I love medical shows. We've actually recently started watching Chicago. Is it M-E-D or just Chicago Med? Well, doesn't the M-E-D spell med? Yeah, it does, but I'm not sure how you'd pronounce it. Uh, I don't know. It's um, Either way, yeah. Ch- Chicago Med, that's a really good doctor show too. Anyway, but House, of course, is the OG. All right, anyway, stats. How tall are you? Last bulk weight, last comp weight, and what's your estimated next comp weight? So Jack, starting off, <laughs> how tall are you? Cool. So I definitely won't remember all of those. So I'm 179 centimeters approximately. Uh, so not quite six foot. Mm-hmm. And what? So last comp weight, did that say? Last bulk weight and last comp weight. Okay. Last bulk weight. So that was about 94.4 kilos was the, the heaviest I ever gotten. Mm-hmm. And funny enough, on that day, I got a DEXA scan and it said I was 10% body fat, which <laughs> we know isn't, isn't Dude, quite true. gold standard, bruh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was probably literally double that. I was probably about 20% body fat. Uh, so they were only about 50% off. <laughs> mm-hmm. But clearly you were just holding a buttload of fluid that day being over yeah. 94 kilograms. And for anyone who's ever had a DEXA scan or knows anything about them, and generally, fluid in the body is going to show up as lean body mass. Mm, yeah. So, if, so you, if you have a high carb diet, then mm-hmm. you'll do well on the DEXA scan. Or if you want to, you know, hack the system, then drink like two liters of saline water before you go get the scan, mm. and woohoo, two kilograms Why do you say of lean saline mass. Water? Because if it's saltier, then you're less likely to pee it out. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just gonna have a, a lot of fluid in your bladder, and you're really gonna be busted on that machine. Anyway, we're getting on a few tangents here. So last bulk weight was 94.4. Yep. What was your last stage weight? My last, well, I don't, I don't think stage weight is like, who knows? Kind of. We like, know because we weighed ourselves on show day. Yeah. But that's, that's your, that's not stage weight because stage weight will be plus food in you as well. Okay. What was your weight on the morning of comp? So I think that was, Wow, I, I, can I even re- remember? Uh, I think it was 75.6. Mm-hmm. And that was actually the lowest weight that I, I'd had all season. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so 75.6, which is very light. Okay. Yeah. And what's your estimated next comp weight? Very, very good question. And I think this all, we'll have a little discussion after this, but. I would love it, and this is quite a jump up, but I would love it if I could be 80 kilos on stage. Mm-hmm. And I'm taking a big off season, and I'm changing quite a few things about, well, not necessarily changing things, but this is, a lot is going into this off season, and I'm optimizing every single variable. And if I can stay injury free for the next two years, then I, I'm really, I'm positive I can do it. Mm-hmm. And. I think the big thing for me is just having more density in those rear shots. And even if I 
because I don't need to gain five kilos of muscle. Like if I gain close to that, which I'm sure I can, and have the added density, then I won't need to dig so hard to reveal that musculature mm-hmm. and make it look lean, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense to me. Cool. Well, let's move on to you. So what is your height? I am 176.4 centimeters. <laughs> I really hold myself to that 0.4. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we're not too far off in height. So if Tierra wears heels, she's uh, much taller than me. Not too much taller, a little bit, but pretty. Yeah, we're pretty close. <laughs> and your last bulk weight? My so the heaviest weight I got up to last season was just over sixty-eight kilograms. I think it was like sixty-eight point one. But the heaviest I've ever been is seventy-one kilograms. But that was back in two thousand nineteen. After we really enjoyed a week at <laughs> Club Med in Thailand. Weren't you that heavy like in 2012 or something? Actually, yeah. So that was, yeah, you're right. 2012 at the end of grade 10. Or yep. no, actually it was 2013 near the end of grade 11. I was actually around 71 kilograms. Mm. Yeah, so been that weight. Except not quite as much muscle. <laughs> not nearly, my friend. Not nearly at 16 years old. Did you do? You didn't do any resistance training. Like you did the occasional bit with your dad, but yeah, and you know through like sporting and stuff. But mm. I think I was just going through those high school phases that everyone yep. does. The pasta phase. Mm-hmm. The pasta phase and also the partying phase. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And what was your stage weight? So my stage weight this past season was 58 kilograms when we woke up that morning but like you said depending on what happens during the day how much fluid you drink how much food you drink i don't know down to the exact it was Mm. probably somewhere between 58 to 60 kilograms yeah Mm -hmm. cool well i guess on the topic of your predicted next stage weight this is a good point to have a discussion on that topic yeah absolutely so for me personally i think that next time i step on stage i'm honestly probably still going to be between 58 to 59 kilograms and as a natural bodybuilder and for a girl my height I think that's pretty realistic to be honest because I'm still in my early years of competing but I'm always probably gonna hover around this stage weight and that's actually a mistake I made this past season is getting a little bit too caught up on stage weight Because the very first time that I competed with IFBB, my stage weight was around 57.8 kilograms or Mm. so. And then this past season, I, you know, we could even listen back to the past podcast. Like I was really excited because I was approaching my IFBB comp and I was going to be sitting around the 59 and a half high 59 kilograms. And I was like, woohoo, you know, put on two kilograms of lean mass. Not really, you know, like I'm the first to say that I definitely could have come in a little bit sharper and a little bit leaner for those shows. And that's just a mistake I made. And it really does come down to I got too caught up in stage weight and I got too caught up in having a heavier stage weight when ultimately, man, it doesn't matter. You're the only one that knows your stage weight. Yeah, you and your coach and whoever else you decide to tell on a podcast or social (laughs) media. But the judges, they don't give two flips about how Mm. much you weigh. And it matters in bodybuilding about how you look guys and ultimately bodybuilding is a sport of illusions and generally the more weight you lose and the more muscle mass that you can retain the bigger human being you allude to be Mm. you you look bigger on stage and that's why you might go to a bodybuilding show and you see these people under the lights tanned up pumped up carved up posing you're like these people are huge 
huge. And then you see him backstage or you see him out in the crowd and they're just like not flexed or anything like that. And you're like, oh man, you're, you're kind of a little tiny human being. Mm. Yeah, there's there's quite a few people in the natural bodybuilding scene where like I'll ask their stage weight backstage or you'll see which category they're in in terms of the, the weight division. And sure, they might be shorter than you, mm-hmm. uh, but like they'll be, for example, under 70 kilos, yeah. which is just crazy given how muscular they are. And as Tara said, like it, your stage weight, honestly, it doesn't, it's not a factor in terms of anything. Mm-hmm. Like the judges don't know it. Guess what? Your competitor number isn't your stage weight either. <laughs> so it's, you're, you're the only person that knows it. And I would say where stage weight does come into play is more so in terms of, okay, what is your predicted state stage weight between you and your coach? Because that is ultimately going to be your ballpark in terms of your timeline for the comp prep. Mm-hmm. And even then, like you might get five kilos heavier than your stage weight and you might be like, oh, okay, we're actually quite close here. Maybe we're only one to two kilos off. Or you might get to your stage weight early and be like, okay, we still got another five kilos mm-hmm. to go until you might be close to the conditioning. Yeah. And I think the only place where stage weight actually comes into play in bodybuilding is in the male divisions, mm. particularly for bodybuilding yeah. or in the IFBB, but, like there's yeah. the 212 and stuff like that. Yeah, that's <laughs> a bit different. It's very different. <laughs> but I mean, even for like uh, shows like ICN where they do split you up based on weight like your pro card isn't determined by that anyway like your Mm -hmm. pro card is based on your height class and so is the open classes it's all height based so like I'm I'm even a little bit like what is kind of the point of of having a weight class like I don't I don't really think they need it Hey guys, just a reminder that we don't just coach physique athletes, but we do coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal. Therefore, if you are interested in getting in touch with us regarding our coaching services, you can always head over to our website at www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com or alternatively, click the link in the show notes below. Personally, Personally, yeah, I'm totally along the same lines. I think that they should scrap the weight classes. Because naturally as well, like if you're taller than someone, you'll be in the the other weight class anyway. It's it's rare that the short person, it will be in the heavier weight class Mm -hmm. in natural bodybuilding. Yeah, I think they should really only have height classes, especially for weight divisions. And if someone's like really, really trying to push to make a certain weight division... Ultimately, like you don't want to have to hold yourself back to mm-hmm. any degree. Ultimately, it's bodybuilding. You're trying yeah. to build your body, so don't try to restrict. We're not yourself. fighters. We're not. We're not. Uh, is it fight sport? Fight athletes mm-hmm. or what? Like uh, MMA and boxing. Yeah, I can't. Sorry, I can't remember the correct name. But like, they obviously have to make a weight. Like we don't. Mm-hmm. We only have to make a weight if we if we want to make that weight class. And ultimately, if you try and make weight in peak week it's a good way to potentially not bring your best yeah. if you're if you're trying to like dehydrate to make a way in mm-hmm. and i know i think more in the us i see that like competitors and not even in enhanced but also natural shows i see that they need to try and make a weight but ultimately i would say if you're trying to make a weight then i would try and make it further weeks out rather than trying to make it last minute because the like just the hydration and glycogen storage like if you're trying to make a weight 24 hours before your show or even the day of your show 
it's going to be tough to maximize those peak week variables. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would argue that in natural bodybuilding, they should totally scrap it. And I think it's interesting because it seems like they actually only have it in the male divisions. I've never Mm. heard of a weight class in the female divisions. Yeah, I think that would... (laughs) That would some mess with some heads even more than... Yeah, but I was actually looking it up for the enhanced realms, for so for IFBB and the 212. So you can only be a maximum of 212 pounds, which is around 96.6 kilograms, mm-hmm. and you can't be any taller than 5 foot 5 inches, which is 166 centimeters tall. Wait, so you can't compete in 212? No, you have to be really short, so you have to be sub 166 centimeters and for reference that's 10 centimeters shorter than me (laughs) so if you're six foot you can't compete in 212 no you can't wow i didn't know that yeah so it's it's for the really short really buff dudes but it holds people back for example flex lewis Mm. right like he was the king of the 212 category for years but you if you guys have watched any videos on him or anything like that like it totally restricted him in his training and his well, bodybuilding career. Given his physique. Yeah, but you know, he, he wants to grow, yeah. but he's limited, right? Mm. Well, and it's the same with, for Classic as well. Like they, they base it off your height though for Classic, mm. which uh, is good at least. So the taller you are, the heavier you yeah. can be. Height makes sense because you're standing next to people of the same height as mm. you. Because we've all been to bodybuilding shows where like it's, it's really different. It's going up and down, up and mm. down. Anyway, let's get back onto this topic. So how could you accurately estimate your stage weight, Jack? Well, it, it is tough. Mm. And it, I think the key word there is estimate. And let's be honest, we're not, we're not getting to 1% body fat on stage, mm-hmm. despite what we're not even getting like to 1% to 5% body fat. We might get the lowest we might get might be 5 to 6%. Believe it or not, <laughs> you still want your heart beating on stage. <laughs> you still want to be alive when yeah. you get up there. And some of our body parts might be leaner than others. So like, for example, my quads might've been closer to 6%, but my back might've been like nine to 10%. Mm-hmm. And I think to get absolutely peeled, I think we're looking at more so the six to 8% mm-hmm. body fat. And so let's say you wanna try and split the difference where I go for 7% body fat. Let's say you have a rough estimation of your, of your current body weight of where you're starting prep at, which might be 20, like ideally it's gonna be like 10 to 15% above your stage weight, mm-hmm. uh, not your stage body fat. Uh, so let's say you are starting around 17%, that way you know you have 10% left to lose. So let's say you weigh 100 kilos, 10% of 100 kilos is 10 kilos. But you also need to bear in mind there that not all of the weight you'll lose will be fat. So mm-hmm. it won't all be body fat. Some of it will unfortunately be muscle. Some of it will be glycogen and, Dude, and water. Dude, your intestines might even get a bit smaller. <laughs> They've actually done studies to show that over chronic dieting periods, your organs can actually shrink, particularly mm. your intestines, which are made of smooth muscle. So yeah, you're kind of losing a bit of muscle mass there. <laughs> the smooth type. And uh, so... Yeah, and hopefully you're not using any um, bone mineral density or anything like that. Oh, hell no. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that would be a very simple method of approximating it. I think the the difficulty with that is like one, people think they're going to get leaner than they are, like 1% body fat. And two, people underestimate what their actual body fat is in the... Mm in the off season, like they're saying, oh yeah, dude, I sit around 10% year round. <laughs> the Dexter <laughs> scan said so. <laughs> in reality, like that's closer to your stage weight than it is your off season, yeah. off season body fat. Yeah. And I think a big wake up call and a harsh reality for a lot of people is 
you're going to have to lose a lot more weight than you think Mm -hmm. in most cases. And that's why it really comes down to having a good coach who's Mm going to be very honest with you, who's pretty damn experienced in this field. And I know you were spitballing a lot of numbers there, but would you argue that, especially in the natural bodybuilding scene, if you were to estimate someone's stage weight, you would estimate it based off some another competitor who got into this proper condition, who's their similar height and of their similar muscularity. And if you're like, yeah, this guy stepped on stage around 78 kilograms, you guys are pretty similar. You're probably going to be on stage around 78 kilograms too. Yeah, I think using certain methods like that could be useful. Mm-hmm. I, I would definitely use it not as my main source of information. I think a saying that I often use at the moment actually is it's a mixture of an art and a science. Mm -hmm. And that holds true for this. Like sure, you can apply some more numerical variables like I just said, but at the same time, like I think anyone who's in the industry long enough, they can look at someone and be like, okay, you've got about this much to lose, Mm -hmm. especially seeing like all parts of their body. Cause like, again, someone might just whip their shirt off and they from the front, they like have very defined abs. Uh, but then they take their pants off. Um, let's keep it PG. But well, to be honest, we're getting on stage in minimal clothing, so yeah, you gotta and, look at the whole bod. And and they might store all their body fat in their glutes and hammies and quads. So mm. yeah, I think ultimately, uh, I would definitely recommend getting a coach uh, for anyone, even if you're an experienced competitor. Like having at least someone in your corner is going to help significantly. And both Tierra and I are going to have someone in our corner when we compete next. Mm-hmm. And we did when we competed previously as well. But I would I would recommend uh, utilizing some objective measures, some subjective measures as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's just important to be realistic, especially in the natural bodybuilding scene with how much muscle you can realistically gain during mm-hmm. an improvement season. But also take into account that, especially you and I, we started bodybuilding at a relatively young age. What, we were like 20 years old? Uh, 21 yeah about wait no more like 18 for me oh yeah we started like resistance training like well before our 20s in in our first show yeah our first show 2021 yeah Yeah, around that age not the year the age yeah 2021 Mm -hmm. (laughs) but if especially if you're starting young like that you have to be realistic and you have to accept that as you keep competing over the years you might compete at a similar stage weight but that doesn't mean you're going to show up and stand on stage looking the exact same because Mm. your body composition is going to continue to change so with me saying that yeah i'm probably always going to step on stage around 58 to 59 kilograms for example this past season if I would have pushed past, like my lowest weight of prep was 57.2 kilograms. And then my stage weight or weight of comp day after being carved up was like 58 kilograms. If I would have continued to diet and gotten myself down to like 56 or 55, it just wasn't conducive because I just don't have enough muscle mass mm-hmm. on me right now. It wasn't going to enhance my appearance. But the goal for me this improvement season is to continue to build more muscle mass so that when I diet down next time, I can purposely push myself even harder to look even leaner and lose even more body fat, but look a lot leaner on stage. So 
You might step on stage every couple of years around the same body weight, but the whole goal is to have more muscle mass on you, more muscle maturity, and always stepping on stage a little bit leaner. Because every time you do, you should be able to push your body that little, little bit harder. Mm, If that makes sense. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's even more appropriate for females than males as well, just because males, actually, to be honest, not really. Like I think, uh, I can't remember the exact details, but males have more muscle to begin with Mm -hmm. but in terms of the rate of gain i could be wrong here but i think they're quite similar in terms of rate of muscle Mm -hmm. gain and of course there's going to be genetic anomalies and there's going to be exceptions for example someone might have just gotten on stage one year and just completely dieted with absolutely zero muscle mass maybe Mm -hmm. they didn't even resistance train or something and yeah next time you step on stage you might step on stage five kilograms heavier because well i I just said i said i'm gonna be hopefully four kilos heavier yeah Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> we got two years ahead of us to just train the house down. Mm. But I think I'm, I'm, it's also a fairly unique situation as well because like, I could have stopped dieting pretty much two kilos heavier for mm-hmm. pretty much all my body parts other than my back and core. So if I just improve the density, the density in those two areas, then like, we'll just have to wait and see. I could mm-hmm. end up at the same stage weight, but like my goal is to be hopefully 80 kilos. Yeah, exactly. And but again, I'm not holding myself to a number. Mm-hmm. So. Me neither. But in my case, if I would have kept dieting, I would have just continued to fade away. Mm. <laughs> so well, I don't so want to fade I, away. So, yeah. yeah. So next time we're getting on stage with more muscle mass and even less body fat. Yep. That is the goal. 2023. <laughs> Hey guys, just a reminder that we post regular content on our Instagram and YouTube channel. You can find those platforms by searching The Bodybuilding Dietitians. See you there. All right, well, anyway, let's move on to this next question. So this one says, why is the order of exercises important in the programming for hypertrophy? Cool, so I would first of all ask everyone to think about what separates for you and your workout what separates exercise number one to exercise four mm-hmm. and or five or even exercise one to three. And if you don't think that the amount of energy and, and focus you can give to those exercises is a limiting factor, uh, then that might be something to reevaluate with your training because ultimately the further you get into a workout, the more compromised you're going to be in terms of uh, the amount of energy you have to give especially in a dieting state Mm -hmm. and also just how fatigued you are in general. So that kind of is my answer to the question. Mm -hmm. How hard are you really training? (laughs) Yeah. But ultimately uh, the exercise order is important because the earlier exercises were able to give more towards Mm -hmm. compared to the latter exercises. Yeah. In simple terms, you're less fatigued, you're more fresh, you're more mentally focused as well. Mm. And you can just give your all to that exercise. Yeah. And I guess this brings up an interesting point is and something that I've I've been asked as well in my own stories is what is our opinion on like pre-fatigue exercises? Mm. So like some people and this is I've I've actually started this recently is for example they might start with a delt exercise uh, like a machine lateral raise or they might start with a leg extension and the idea isn't like I don't I'm not sure where pre-fatigue came from because the goal isn't necessary to pre-fatigue mm-hmm. the goal is to basically perform that movement when you have an abundance of energy uh, com- and p- perform it more favorably than you would be able to at the end of a workout mm-hmm. uh, and I can definitely testify moving it to the front I can give it more intensity 
and compared to at the end. Yeah. And and at the same time, last little bit is it's not doing something like a leg extension. It's not going to take away enormous, enormously from your next exercise, which might be a hack squat compared to if you did the hack squat first, then did the leg extension. Mm-hmm. Well, it, this is an interesting topic because it really has been raised in the sports science realm and exercise mm. science realm. It's, it's actually been studied quite a bit and mass, which is the monthly application and strength sport. They've actually posted a few articles on this topic and the theory behind pre-fatiguing is that if it's more like activation. For example, mm-hmm. like the theory for most people is that, oh, if you do a leg extension before you do a hack squat, your quads are fired up, ready to go, and you're going to be able to recruit mm. more of your quads during that Notice hack squat. Notice how I didn't say that though. Yeah, you didn't say that. I'm really glad you did because <laughs> it actually works in reverse. Yeah. So, and it's hard to argue with a hack squat because it's like, well, what the hell else are you going to push up with? <laughs> But a good example would be a bench press. Mm. So for example, people might do some chest flies before a bench press because they're like, oh, I'm going to activate my chest. I'm going to increase blood flow to my pecs and then that's going to improve my bench press performance. But in fact, it actually does pre-fatigue that muscle group. So for example, if you were then went into a bench, you might actually notice some compromised performance and you're going to recruit your triceps a lot more. Mm. But that can actually work in your favor because if you're like, hey, my chest is awesome, but I actually do wanna activate my triceps more and work my triceps more, you actually could purposely do some pre-fatiguing and some chest work before a bench, and then that way you are going to get more tricep recruitment during your bench. And you can also, I guess on that note, you can be fairly strategic with it as well in that, let's say you are more anterior delt dominant or mm-hmm. delt dominant, you could do something. And I know lateral raises technically aren't anterior, they're not much anterior delt, mm-hmm. but let's say you did some lateral raises and before your bench, you might get more chest stimulation out mm-hmm. of that by doing something like, uh, rather than a chest fly before the yeah, bench press. Yeah, exactly. Or that's, that's a good point. So if you wanted to activate your chest more in a bench, then you would pre-fatigue your triceps. Mm. Yeah, so it's kind of clever here. But so that's kind of myth-busting that myth. But then if we actually go back to another article Mass has posted on this exact topic, like what's the purpose of exercise order? Can't you just write me a program and then I can just free ball it when I'm in the gym, depending on which equipment's available at the time? Well, it does go to show that the exercises that are prioritized first during a workout, generally you do have better performance outcomes with those and better Mm. progression too. Yeah. Plus if you're comparing your progress week to week, which we recommend all of everyone to do, not just our clients, Mm -hmm. but uh, if you're, let's say week one, you do the hack squat first and then week two, you do the hack squat fifth, like you can't compare those two Mm -hmm. results because that you've just done them out of order. Mm -hmm. And we want to try and compare the progress week to week to be able to be like, okay, I'm going to beat that this week. And if you're doing it out of order, it's, it's not worthy of comparison. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like weighing yourself with a full stomach versus weighing yourself in the morning. You can't compare those two weigh-ins. Yeah, without a doubt. And this is something that I've learned as a coach and that you can't assume anything. So Mm. I always let my clients know from the get go, like, hey, I've written you this exercise program very specifically in this specific order. So you are prioritizing these compound movements first before you move on to these more isolation movements. Because in the past, you know, I've, I've had comments on their training templates where it's like, this machine was taken, did this fifth, and then their performance is way down the tank compared to the <laughs> week before. And I'm like, 
gosh, you, you've got to just work in with that person who's just sitting and texting on the leg extension or mm. whatever it may be, right? <laughs> yeah. That's uh, like often people say, oh, what if someone's on the on the machine and I'm mm. like, as long as the gym is okay with it being COVID, I usually just say, if you ask someone to work in, chances are they're going to take a hike because they don't want to share. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and then you'll just have the machine yourself. Yeah. It's and if they don't say yes, then it's usually gym rules that the, the equipment has to be shared. Yeah. Without a doubt. You know, people generally common courtesy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I would share my equipment with any podcast <laughs> listener. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Hey, TBD, you want to do some bench together? Yeah. But that's why it pays off to also go to a big gym with plenty of equipment too. Mm. All right. At uh, hours like we do where not many people are there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, that is true. But I understand for people who, you know, go to a small gym that might only have one Smith machine. And I feel like in those types of gyms, there's always one Smith machine hog. You know, (laughs) someone who will do like an hour and a half workout and every single thing is on the Smith machine. Mm. Blame blame the um, fitness influencers that post up those Smith machine workouts. Yes, the freaking nuts. Like... (laughs) Smith machines are awesome, but yeah. like there's you don't other need to equipment do a whole too. On that. Yeah, sharing is caring. Cool. Well, I think we have time for one more question. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this one says Is there a difference in consuming different temperatures of water? Hmm. According to some people, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on this? Ah, guys, I think the key here is that you don't want to miss the forest for the trees. And yeah. I think that. Being well hydrated trumps all. And I don't think that you should get too bogged down in the nitty gritties. Mm. Uh, as well, long as- <laughs> this is a sort of question where I would respond with a question and say, what do you think happens if you consume a glass of, of zero degree water? Like mm-hmm. what, what is genuinely going to happen? Zero degree. Does that mean you're consuming ice? No, because just because it's zero degrees doesn't mean it's frozen. It can be sub-zero and even not frozen. If there's salt in it? Well, and if, depends if it's, um, what's the word? Like if it's moving, Mm -hmm. so like moving water can be below zero degrees and be unfrozen. Mm -hmm. Anyway. This water is really cold. (laughs) Let's (laughs) say you drink some cold ass water. What do you think is going to happen? And I think the premise for like Ayurveda, Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of like an alternate medicine, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of culture. Would that be the, or approach? Mm -hmm. Um, they, I think one of the reasons why they don't, they suggest or oh, don't consume hot water or cold water is that for example cold water will is it like dilute the blood vessels in your digestive tract or? no it's more about vasoconstriction well, so oh no sorry i used i meant constrict sorry yeah. not dilute yeah yeah so if you're cold generally blood vessels and vessels in the body constrict yeah uh, and i guess the theory behind that is that if you drink really cold water really cold liquids then it's going to constrict blood flow to your digestive system. And ultimately, you're not going to be able to digest your food as well. Because Mm. when we're in a parasympathetic nervous system state, which is rest and digest, or I actually heard this great thing on a podcast this morning. They said, instead of rest and digest, feed and breed. (laughs) That's not bad. I really like it. Feed and breed. Wouldn't breeding be like sympathetic though? Do you remember that biology teacher that we had? He he was like, the only time a human being will ever experience parasympathetic and sympathetic oh, nervous really? system states will be during sex. Mm, Pre- like during the lecture. orgasm. Oh, that's too bad. Well, <laughs> I remember it stands up clear in my mind. 
Anyway, uh, feed and breed, parasympathetic, pretty cool. Um, but yeah, the theory is that if you drink really cold water then, or a cold smoothie or something really cold, it's going to restrict blood flow to your digestive system and you're not gonna be able to digest your food as well. Ugh, guys, come <laughs> on. Like the body's pretty resilient. Like, you know, mm. like you can put things into your body like water, regardless of the temperature, and it's gonna work itself out. Because mm. you gotta remember like, what about ice cream that's mm-hmm. cold? What about you have like a nice hearty stew for dinner or 99% of what we eat for dinner is hot. Like, because yeah. we can't just, anything that we eat has moisture in it. Mm-hmm. So like, it's, it's kind of like a falsity in itself to be thinking of just the liquids here when ultimately all the food we eat has liquid in it. And mm-hmm. some, especially if you have like a soup, like you have a hot soup, what if you mm-hmm. have a stew or what if you have a lot of vegetables at dinner? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's hot as well. Yeah, I think when it comes to Ayurveda, they use the word warm. So mm-hmm. they suggest that people consume warm food and nothing too cold and nothing boiling hot. Yeah. Like definitely don't ever consume boiling hot water. Yikes. Uh, but yeah, they suggest consuming warm. Mm. But again, like it just, it confuses it, it people. I think the most confusing aspect is that it does kind of make some sort of logical sense mm-hmm. in your head. Like, okay, you're drinking something cold. It's going to cause vasoconstriction. And then like you might have some reduced blood flow to your intestinal tract. But it doesn't even work like that. Like... Think about the actual digestive system. So Mm. when you drink cold water, it has to go into your mouth. It swishes around your mouth. It will go down to your esophagus and will go into your stomach before it even goes into your intestines. So Mm. I would argue that whole process, especially by the time it's in your stomach, your body's like, whoa, let's let's warm this up a little bit just through your core body temperature. Even if you take like you can even do this. A fun little practical thing in the kitchen <laughs> is take a cold glass of water, drink some, swirl it in your mouth for five to ten seconds, spit it back out. Mm-hmm. It'll be pretty much warm water. Yeah. I can basically guarantee you that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Your body, it, it knows what to do. But gosh, when, when I've heard some fit, fitness influencers say this and it just, I think it really confuses people. And again, you miss the forest for the trees because... People are like, oh God, like I'm dehydrated and I really need to drink, but like this water, (laughs) it's too cold. (laughs) I'm going, I'm going to destroy my digestive system. I'm going to cause myself GIT issues. Mm. It's like, drink the water. And also it's confusing too, because then, you know, what if you had a client and they're like, oh, but like, I really enjoy smoothie bowls. Does this mean that I can't have a smoothie bowl or I have to have a smoothie bowl and then put it in the microwave to warm it up? What if you live in like the the Northern hemisphere in Mm -hmm. winter and in winter, like right, whether you get it from the tap or whether you get it from the fridge, it's going to be very cold water anyway. (laughs) And then you, what do you have like a little heater just for your water uh, for, for winter? Like it's, Anyway, I think we've kind of exhausted this question. Or if you live in Australia and it's like a 45 degree day and you're freaking hot, boy, it's quite refreshing to have a nice cold glass of water. Not going to (laughs) lie. And again, sports science literature, one of the best ways to cool down is to drink some cold fluid. Mm, Very true. Ah, yeah. So guys, stay hydrated. And uh, that's the key takeaway here. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Jack... To finish off the podcast, I want to know one thing that you learned this week. So what do you learn? I'll let you go first today, as oh, per usual, Okay. while I think of something. <laughs> okay. What I learned this week is that there's a new mushroom on the town. Well, actually, it's probably not new. It's probably been around for eons, but yeah. 
it's new to my How dietary. How long is it eon? Do you know? No, I don't. Because what I've, I think a millennia is a thousand years, which I've always found confusing. Because mm-hmm. like when you think of millennia, you think of a million, don't yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I could be wrong. I went to school with a boy called Maximilian. <laughs> It's a cool name. I hope he never listens to this podcast. I'm definitely not laughing at your name, uh, but I thought that was really cool, but I've never heard of any... Is that a common name? I don't think it is, right? Maximilian? No, I don't think so. Yeah, but I was like, there's a million of you, Max? So I've just looked up millennium. So apparently it's millennium, not millennia. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's uh, a thousand years. Okay. Well, that's so... It's not a million years, but... Well, I'm going to look up Eon now. Okay. Is, I um, hope it's a long time. An eon is <laughs> an eon is one billion years. <laughs> okay, so these mushrooms were around before the dinosaurs, because <laughs> I'm pretty sure the dinosaurs were around what like 65 million years ago. So these are some old even, shrooms. <laughs> I can't even comprehend a billion years. Like that's I don't even know where that would be in our timeline <laughs> of Earth. Yeah, that that's a long time ago. Anyway. These mushrooms, they're new to my dietary pattern, but they're called anaki mushrooms, product of Korea. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I discovered them at Sam Coco's. They're only $2 a bag, but these things are awesome. They are like equivalent to noodles. They are so freaking good. I love mushrooms. Uh, and I just wish I'd discovered these things in prep because Jack, I reckon these things totally trump the konjac noodles and like the slendier noodles, all of those sort of things, because they're like noodle versions mm. of The texture is much better. Mm. So yeah, guys, they're they, called... They don't stink either. The like, konjac stinks a little bit. Yeah, they just, konjac smells like squid. Yeah. It's pretty funky. Anyway, guys, these things are called anaki mushrooms. They're like long little skinny mushrooms with a little mushroom head. And they're amazing. Put them in a stir fry and they're like noodles. I want to put them in a soup. They're going to be like noodles. Perfect off-season food when, you're, when your calories are nice and high. <laughs> I love shrooms. Anyway, these things are epic. And yeah, so get amongst the anaki mushrooms for sure if you want like a, a noodle. It's really good. Anyway, that's what I learned this week. New mushroom on the town. Jack, what did you learn this week? So I learned that uh, if anyone has like seen a camera or like professional recording equipment, they might have that fluffy thing that sits on top of the mic. And I actually learned that that thing is called a dead cat, Mm. (laughs) which I think is just kind of a bit weird. Like where, like it doesn't even look like a dead cat. It it could be more like a dead mouse or something. Why does anything have to die? Why can't it just be, you know, that fluffy thing that sits on top of my camera? Mm. Like, or like a windbreaker or a mic windbreaker or mm-hmm. something. Anyway, yeah, that's that's what I learned. Microphone fluff. Mm. That's nice. Yeah. Nothing has to die in the process. Yeah, well, I, I got one of those and it's called a dead cat. Mm-hmm. That's what I learned this All right. week. Yeah, well, it is a nice little fluffy thing. <laughs> yeah. It's very soft. <laughs> it is. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, anyway, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast episode. Hope you liked our discussions and our few tangents. If you did, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag the bodybuilding dietitians, and we'll catch you next week.